Let's bow our heads in dependent prayer as we prepare for careful study of God's Word and Acts. God of all glory and grace, we depend on you. We needed you for our own existence. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for your pleasure and goodwill to create this earth. And we certainly wouldn't be able to stand in your presence and to speak to you directly because of our sin if it weren't for the perfect life and sacrificial death and resurrection power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we thank you that we can stand before you and be in Christ, restored to you through faith in him alone. We pray that you will guide us through the truth of your word, help us to make specific application to our lives, so that we will be your faithful children on this earth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. We are near the end of Acts 18. And then we may take a brief break for a a few weeks of Christmas-themed texts. But for now, today, we're still finishing up Acts 18. In the, our theme for this morning, I want you to take a moment as we get into this to think about the fact that the ministers God uses to evangelize the lost and strengthen the church are not one size fits all or cookie cutter. If we invest even a little prayerful mental energy to take stock of the people that God can use and does use, we're amazed by the eclectic blend of individuals and gifts, as well as the variety of ways in which they're used, and how God's work supersedes both our strengths and our weaknesses. Just look around yourself this morning. And the, f- the fantastic thing about God's work in this way is that it elevates God and not us. So in the last part of Acts 18, as Paul begins a third missionary journey out from uh, Antioch, let's carefully observe some of the noteworthy characteristics among those God is using in various ways and various situations so that we can intentionally and prayerfully aim to apply these qualities to our own character in ministry. Read with me Acts 18, verses 23 through 28. So this is the Apostle Paul, after spending some time there in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. 
he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, a great, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Again, what are some of the key characteristics among those we see God using as he directs them through the opportunities he provides that we should take note of and apply to ourselves? I want you to notice first in verse 23, Paul's consistency in ministry. We put everything that happens with Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla and Ephesus in the context of Paul uh, preparing for this third missionary journey, and we should notice Paul's consistency. Consistency and longevity in ministry is a sign of maturity, and that maturity results from dependency. We won't be consistent, and we won't have a long-lasting ministry unless we are dependent on God. If we depend on ourselves, we will fall into uh, our own fickleness, our own frailty, Uh, but if we depend on God, then we can have consistency and longevity in ministry. The Apostle Paul is now on his third missionary journey. He's venturing out and following similar patterns that we've already seen Luke set forth. Specifically here, what's mentioned is that he returned to the places he had previously been, strengthening the disciples in the local churches where he had seen people come to faith in Christ. So you you see on the map just Paul journeying uh, west again, this time by land, visiting the churches in the region of Uh, Galatia and Phrygia. So we see Paul would be consistent in his message, even consistent in his methodology, wherever and whenever appropriate. So in given localities, with each group of disciples that gathered as a local church in a city, the result was that Paul strengthened them, a Greek word which means to confirm to establish, to support, to sustain, to make fast, to help them be fixed, to be firmly set in place. That was Paul's goal, to return to these places where he had seen disciples of Jesus begin the Christian life, to to start to try to see some, some mature leaders take over the church, but he wants to go back and make sure that they are firmly established, they are fixed in place, that they are they are set. He wants them to be established, self-sustaining, growing local churches. So how should Paul's consistency in ministry impact how we aim for God to use us in Christ's service? If you look around the room, or maybe you have um, other Christian relatives or mentors in your life, and you think to yourself, how will I continue in ministry to make it to the place where we see someone like uh, Marie's consistency and love for Christ and Barbara's 
love and sensitivity to the Lord and continued desire to, to, to read God's word and to grow in it? How will I get to the place that Rich and Patty Tolliver are at? How will I grow to be continuing in ministry like Jim Gar and Deanna Gar and be faithful to the Lord and finish well? How will I get there? It's interesting for us to look at the lives of those going before us, and I encourage you to ask them, how is it that you have continued? How is it that you have persevered? And I, inc- I, I believe that you will discover at least two things from them. They'll, tell, they'll probably tell you more than I can think of, but you will discover in them a humility rooted in dependence on God. Paul depends on God. And so the lasting impact of consistency and longevity in ministry should not be undervalued. Proverbs says, the wisdom of God in Proverbs says this, in chapter 20, verse 6, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. You know the difference between talk and consistency. So we ought to pray for contentment and faithfulness with where God has us and how he is using us rather than chasing shiny new alternatives, shiny new opportunities. May God make us consistent in ministry as the Apostle Paul. And we ought to thank God for those among us who have demonstrated faithfulness in the Christian walk and ministry and learn from them so that we ourselves may learn to be consistent and faithful. So we see just in verse 23, the example of Paul's consistency. And now I want you to notice too, in verses 24 to 26, Apollos's fervency and his teachability in ministry. We find Apollos actively engaged in ministry because we, we hear in verse 25b that he was fervent in spirit or fervent in the spirit. Fervent means to be heated by flames to the point of boiling to be zealous, to be enthusiastic, to be excited. Now, this enthusiasm, excitement, zeal, boiling, can't be simply a matter of personality or emotionalism. You look at me and you see someone who's kind of in the middle of, uh, at least when I was growing up, my parents would have said, JJ feels the need to be in the middle of everything. That's my personality. I'm kind of boiling all the time anyways. I need to be subdued sometimes. My voice is tired because Branson Branson High School participated in a basketball tournament in Forsyth Friday night and Saturday night, and I was there, and you can imagine that if I know some kids, I'm yelling enthusiastically. But it's interesting that it can't be simply about personality or temporary emotionalism. It must rise from a clear vision of God and a deep desire to please him and make him known. The reason I care so much about the basketball game is because I know some of the kids. The reason you care so much with a fervency that, that boils up inside of you and it's, it's a lasting boiling is because you have come to know God. And if you want to maintain that boil, then you have to stay close to God. Some of Apollos' fervency could be attributed to the recency of his conversion. We, we experience that too, and we see it in others. But our fervency from God should, in fact, 
grow to the point of maintaining a steady boil because we have grown in consistency like Paul to not and wisdom to not stray from the blue hot flame of God's own magnificence. Draw near to God. Keep repenting and returning to your first love. Remember the warning to the church in Ephesus in, in John's letter or in John's writings in Revelation in the letter to the seven churches? Draw near to God, repent and return to your first love. Stay close to Jesus. Doesn't Jesus say in John 15, abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. If you want to have fervency, if you want to be zealous, if you want to be enthusiastic about the things of God, then you must be near God. He is the heat. And you cannot... Know of God while your Bible collects dust. Draw near to God. One author says about Apollos, eloquence in preaching must always be subordinate to the reality of the power of God's spirit in the life and ministry of the preacher. Apollos was fervent in the spirit, which means that his witness was empowered by the Spirit of God rather than by his rhetorical eloquence or his personal charisma. Having the Spirit of God and being marked by that is more important than eloquence. I mean, just consider the people that God uses. More on that as we continue. But about the second characteristic, after his fervency, his zeal... Being teachable is not as simple as it sounds. Being teachable is not as simple as it sounds. In the case of Apollos, he was eloquent. He was learned and articulate, speaking with precision, elegance, force, and persuasion. He was competent in the scriptures. He was strongly capable and skilled in the Hebrew scriptures. So he had received instruction and was already pretty accurate. These first two qualities may very well be largely a reflection of natural talent and his training. It says that he was from Alexandria. You see on the map that Alexandria was an important city of northern Egypt with a large Jewish component. So it sounds like Apollos had a thorough education, probably in both Greek culture and learning, as well as uh, an education, a thorough education through the Jewish synagogue in particular. The fact that he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus then is likely a reference to seeing and showing Old Testament promises of the Messiah and how Jesus fulfills them. This is what he already does accurately. He's eloquent. He's competent, which would be the, the spiritual part especially would be a result not of any natural talent, but a result of the transforming and illuminating of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit. He has a, a transformed life and now has an illuminated knowledge base about the Scriptures. But it's not as easy to be teachable as one might think, especially someone like Apollos. It takes humility to be eloquent and capable and pretty accurate to then also receive instruction well. This is a quality that should, should mark all of Christ's people. But correction, rebuke, being told we need more training in a given area or that we need to be trained in greater godliness to grow in character. 
All of these things are, at, at, at the very least, they hurt our feelings initially. Have you experienced this? Someone corrects you. Someone rebukes you. Someone kindly even encourages you with a hint that you need to be more faithful. Someone helps you see that you need to grow in godliness. And what happened? What's the first reaction that you feel? Ouch. And that ouch needs to turn to, there's something here that's true, and I need to search God's word and see how it is that I can grow. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend who would say such things to you. Proverbs 27, verse 6a. And Psalm 141, verse 5 says this, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. See, also the benefit to the one willing to have this undesirable confrontation, the one willing to say such a thing, Proverbs 28, verse 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. It's the right thing to do as someone who genuinely loves and cares about others. So, of course, there is a foolishness, the Proverbs warns us about, that a fool delights in airing his own opinions. There's that side of it. But then there's also the side of being willing to say hard things out of love. You might even couch your input in someone else's life in the context of both admission that I still struggle with such things, and then asking things in the form of a question so that you're not accusatory, but you're genuinely showing love and help. It takes healthy humility and wisdom to be teachable and to know that such instruction is not ultimately meant to tear us down, but to build us up. So what should we learn? We're already talking about so many applications, and yet I'm going to ask these, a question like this each time. What should we learn from Apollos' fervency concerning evangelism and teaching the scriptures, and what should we learn about his teachability? One of the things is that we need the zeal of others around us so that we are constantly reminded to not grow cold. One of, the great God's, one of God's means of grace to us to, to draw near to him is not only the scriptures and prayer, but to be around faithful believers. They help us draw near to God and depend on God. We need the fervent ministry of others around us in, in areas of our that are not our own strengths and opportunities that are distinct from ours. We need a church family of, full of fellow ministers who all realize that God is not finished with us yet. We therefore remain teachable as well as gracious toward one another's progress. Now, if you lack fervency, if you lack zeal, you lack enthusiasm, draw near to God to reach a boil for his glory. If you struggle with pushing back against your need to grow more, become more teachable also by the light of God's word showing you more of God and letting the mirror of God's word reflect an accurate image of who you are. Again, speaking of Apollos, Schnabel says, despite or perhaps 
precisely because of the fact that he was willing to accept correction, Apollos is portrayed by Luke as an ideal preacher because he is willing to be taught. Now, we move from Apollos to the other couple who proved so influential by such apparently simple faithfulness. This couple is so influential by such apparently simple faithfulness. In verses 25 and 26, we see Priscilla and Aquila's sensitivity to a need and their accuracy in teaching ministry. There was still a deficiency we hear about here that Apollos knew only the baptism of John. Apollos evidently did not have a clear understanding to teach people that that baptism, water baptism, now symbolized the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and, and the believer's identification with him in it. And Apollos evidently didn't understand and teach that with faith in Christ also came a baptism in the Spirit in which the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Apollos himself seems to be a true believer who has received the Spirit, but His deficiency to understand and to teach in this regard likely, I think, is what explains why there are some in Ephesus, we learn in a a few short verses in Acts 19, there are some in Ephesus who are a bit less connected probably with Priscilla and Aquila and and some of the other uh, more mature believers there, and they still don't know, they still only know of John's baptism and not of the baptism of the Holy Spirit when Paul comes to Ephesus. So what Apollos knew to teach, he taught accurately, but as yet his knowledge was incomplete. And so Priscilla and Aquila attentively take notice of the need. They are attentive to listening to the teaching, and they notice something that is not consistent either with the Old Testament scriptures or with the apostolic tradition that will become the New Testament scriptures. They're listening, and they're attentive, and they hear a deficiency. And they take this young man aside, maybe young. They take Apollos aside, and they bring him under their wing and lovingly explain to him more accurately God's way, God's path in Jesus Christ. That, this word accurate is in akribos, is in both verse 25, his his accuracy that he already has, and them explaining with greater accuracy, it's being mindful and careful to teach well. So they expound and they elaborate with greater clarity for Apollos. Now, this ministering couple is intriguing as well as useful for our instruction. Priscilla's name, or the the shorter version, I mentioned this last week too, Prisca. Now, when you hear the two of them together, it's always together, and you hear Uh, Her name sometimes mentioned first. Uh, Other places, sometimes her name is listed second. Paul can also refer refer to them both ways, Aquila and Prisca, or Prisca and Aquila. But the fact that she is sometimes mentioned first would indicate that she was very active in ministry, even in private teaching and mentorship alongside her husband and with his blessing. Priscilla wouldn't have taken a formal leadership role in shepherding or teaching men in the local church, according to Paul's own instruction on the subject, 1 Timothy 2.12. But that didn't stop her from being active in ministry, even in gifted teaching and mentoring in any way that was appropriate within God's order for our good. 
I would tell you this morning that, that it, not only women would benefit from the inductive Bible study method of K. Arthur, all of us would benefit by it. God is using all of us in the various ways within the order that he has given, and we may be gifted in various ways to be consistent and faithful with the opportunities God provides. And this, we see here, this tag team, along with her husband, of mentorship and training Apollos is effective and it's impactful in his life and and in ministry to the church in the advance of the gospel. Again, notice Apollos' apparent humility and teachability not to be offended, but to receive teaching from an elder stateswoman and statesman in the faith. So how should Priscilla and Aquila's sensitivity to a need and accuracy in teaching impact us? Well, they were marked by sensitivity, noticing where and how they were needed, noticing the needs of others. So you might think of applying that beyond just being attentive when you listen to teaching. Have we booked our lives so full of other things that we have no availability? No time to stop, think, listen, pay attention to the needs of others around us. Are we racing too fast or filling our minds with too many things, too much entertainment, so that we lack sensitivity? I was listening again to an audio book of, it's called Reset by David Murray. And it's specifically for people who've been through a season of, of struggling with, with depression and burnout. But even the subtitle says, and he repeats this over and over again, learning to live grace-paced lives. How will we continue? How will we be faithful over the long haul? We must be wise and live grace-paced lives. And he points to the ministry of Jesus, who had seasons of rest and seasons of getting away and living a grace-paced life. And Priscilla and Aquila were particularly attentive in this case to, as we said, to a deficiency in teaching and a need for greater accuracy. So I'll remind us that the task of evaluating, of verifying, and if necessary, correcting one-sided, defective, or erroneous theology or practice is not only the responsibility of pastors, teachers, and missionaries, but is indeed the responsibility of all believers. Remember, we saw earlier in Acts the need for us to be like the Bereans who listened and checked to see if these things were so according to the scriptures. And that accuracy is dependent then on a right understanding and communication of the truths truths of scripture, including the apostolic teaching of the New Testament. Aquila and Priscilla then also demonstrate wisdom and sensitivity by not shaming Apollos in public but rather correcting him in private. You can consider that as an application for us as well. Finally, for this morning, how does all of this impact the local church in Ephesus as well as ministry in Achaia, particularly in Corinth? Paul's consistency and Apollos' fervency, Apollos' teachability, Aquila and Priscilla's sensitivity, their accuracy, lead to the strengthening of the church's maturity in ministry, verses 27 and 28. The church's maturity and effectiveness 
is increased through this teamwork and powerful preaching. When Apollos wants to cross to Achaia, now that he's been more accurately trained, and he's still fervent about this ministry, he wants to cross to Achaia. Recall that the region of, of Corinth and, and, and Athens, this is the region of Greece. He wants to continue further in ministry, so he's sent with the local church's blessing and commendation. We see that all of the, the people being used in ministry here, they are all aware that this is a, a task bigger than any one of them. So this is true of the Apostle Paul as well. Their encouragement of Apollos to continue in ministry even extends to letters of recommendation. They send with him to, a Cor to, to, to Corinth their letter of recommendation. And it goes even beyond the individuals. The churches are, seem to be networking a bit in some way here, communicating with each other and encouraging one another. And then also another application for us is to be reminded that preaching, Apollos' preaching is powerful and effective. Remember that he was already using the scriptures well, and here again it mentions the scriptures. So preaching is grounded in the scripture and governed in the scripture. That's the kind of preaching that unleashes the powerful working of the Spirit. When you hear people talking about lots of things that sound similar, very, very similar to worldly advice, and they read a Bible verse and then talk primarily about whatever they want to talk about, so they do a lot of talking sort of about God's word, but never letting God's word speak, that's not the kind of preaching you want to regularly sit under. You want to listen to preaching whether or not the person is exceedingly eloquent. Hello, Jeff Griffiths. You want to listen to people who have submitted themselves to God, and they're submitting themselves to whatever it is that God says here, and then letting the Spirit of God speak through them to tell you this is what God says. And then you're always checking to make sure, is that really what God says? And it's interesting that a preacher here in Branson and another preacher here in Branson and a preacher in Singapore and a preacher in Zimbabwe and a preacher in Papua New Guinea and a preacher in Venezuela can all teach a text of God's word. And we can be as limited and frail and weak as we can possibly be. But because of faith in Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit working and the word of God that actually changes people, God is making a people for himself through faith in Jesus Christ, and he is growing his church to be the beautiful bride that he desires for us to be. God does it through his word, and we just get to be a part of it. And Apollos was learning that that's how it works. He's just one of those people. And you'll notice that when you, you read Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, apparently later when he's in Ephesus, and he's talking about himself and Cephas, Peter, Apollos, and he says, you guys are getting divided over like people and who the teachers are. You're being silly. That's worldly wisdom. That's not godly wisdom. You are one people in Christ. So although Apollos' eloquence is helpful, 
It's the integrity of character as God's instrument, and especially the accuracy with the word that makes the preacher. When you teach your children, remember that it's the accuracy of God's word that makes the teacher. So how should the strengthening of the church's maturity and effectiveness motivate us uh, in our involvement in ministry? Well, let's use that question to lead into our conclusion for this morning. Two final characteristics I want you to notice overall here is that these ministers are available and they're active. These ministers were marked by availability and activity. They're willing to be used by God and they're willing to be team members. We must make ourselves available and active. Notice Apollos ministers, even though he has more to learn. Can you relate? <laughs> Doing ministry, even though you have a lot more to learn. On the other hand, Priscilla and Aquila encourage him to grow, even as they recognize that he's an effective minister. Can you relate to Priscilla and Aquila? You're not the upfront, eloquent speaker, but can God use you? to instruct people from the truth of God's word? Shouldn't we all grow to be competent to counsel one another with the truth of God's word? And then I'll ask you this, sort of a in-your-face question that's obvious that we need to be reminded of from time to time. Are you mostly a consumer or are you praying for and seeking ways to be a serving member? Are you mostly a consumer, or are you praying and seeking to be a serving member? Having an arm that doesn't work is cosmetically more appealing, but not productively any more useful than lacking that arm altogether. We need you. And a non-functioning liver is even more dangerous. We can't see it, but it's killing us. We must view ourselves as members of a team, promoting the advancement of Christ's church. We must be fervent in spirit, teachable, sensitive to the need for accuracy, and marked by faithful consistency. May God use these lessons from the lives of several ministers who were used greatly by him in various ways to instruct us and motivate us to be available and active in ministry. And may the Lord use this text to help it sink in that Consistency in ministry matters, as well as fervency and teachability and that sensitivity and accuracy concerning the gospel and biblical truth are indispensable in order that our Lord may grow his church to be to beautiful maturity, maturity worthy of the complete and pure bride he is making his church to be. Let's pray and the praise team will come again and then we'll take the Lord's table together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your greatness, your faithfulness, your mercy and grace to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are making a people for yourself, for your own possession, through faith in Christ Jesus, who will belong to you, be your children, who will be faithful, fervent, and consistent. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to be a church that is marked by teamwork with one another 
even with other ministries that are faithful. And Lord, may you do all of these things to make your own name great because you alone are worthy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.